Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. Coming up on uh, today's program, some really interesting stories to take a look at, uh, including what China's doing uh, at American universities. They're uh, heavily involved with uh, at least some of the students there. Also, a really interesting look at the top story of the trumpet.com. Gun control, is that going to solve some of the uh, shooting problems that we see? And how far do they want to take the gun control? That and more coming up on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live. We're at 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm as well. Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon with you here today on what is a beautiful day in Edmond, Oklahoma City area. 66 degrees uh, for the high today, sunshine. Beautiful, beautiful weather. However, uh, the East Coast has had some uh, problems, the Northeast in particular. They're having a little thunder snow. We get that here occasionally where it's snowing and thundering at the same time. Kind of weird. Yeah, thunder is uh, always really intimidating to hear. It usually almost almost shakes the whole house sometimes. It, it can be so loud around here occasionally. Yep. Uh, but to combine that with 26 inches or however much snow they're getting around the East Coast, it's a pretty bad combination. They've had a lot of snow out there this year. Uh, morning commutes were expected to be messy at best in much of the Northeast uh, today. After the second major snowstorm in less than a week, socked the region with heavy, wet snow. It's always the uh, f- most fun to play in, but it's the hardest to shovel. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a lot of times people get um, uh, heart attacks because of that. You know, they don't expect um, to work quite that hard. Maybe they're not used to it, and all of a sudden you're trying to shovel your driveway, and that's actually a big cause of heart attacks. Yeah, I've heard that. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty crazy to think about, that a lot of people just probably aren't used to getting that kind of exercise especially if they're a little bit older that that can be pretty strenuous and and obviously there's the chance of slipping too which yeah. which is pretty uh damaging as well i have you seen that commercial where that guy pulls into his driveway with a pizza <laughs> yeah and the car the the tree falls on his car <laughs> and he gets out and obviously he's stunned but then he's like oh the pizza's okay and then he picks it up and he slips. <laughs> when he said slipping, that's the first thing I thought of. And, uh, I don't even know what they're advertising. I think it's pizza. <laughs> yeah, I think it's that if you have something like that that happens to your pizza, you can actually bring it back and they'll replace it for free. But you have to actually bring back the old one instead of just telling them about it. What are they going to do with the old one? Let, <laughs> let them keep the pizza. But anyway, it's, <laughs> that's one of those uh, funny commercials. But like you said, there is a ton of snow happening out there. Uh, some places saw more than two feet of snow by late Wednesday. Uh, New Jersey got more than 26 inches from the nor'easter, that storm that came in. And uh, Massachusetts got 24 inches of snow. Uh, some places in New York, 26. So quite a bit of heavy, wet snow out there. It made me think about the worst places for winter in general. And so I looked up the list of the top 10 worst locations for winter in the U.S. Uh, here are the top 10. Number 10 is Massachusetts. Uh, number 9 is Montana. 
And again, this is uh, this is some people's opinions. <laughs> Number eight is Idaho. Seven is good old uh, Wisconsin, which I can relate to. I thought they'd be higher on the list, mm. but uh, they're number seven apparently. Number six, South Dakota. Number five, Maine. Four, North Dakota. Three, Alaska. Number two, Michigan. And coming in the top spot, the worst place they say for winter, just in terms of how long it is, how cold it is, the snow. Minnesota, <laughs> which is right next to Wisconsin up there, but they they do get particularly cold. Uh, Oklahoma came in at thirty third, so we we have some beautiful. I mean, today, right? We I guess technically we're still in winter. It's gonna be sixty six degrees. Beautiful outside. If it's not windy and not cold, it's pretty nice. I think the only thing that's kind of a letdown is when we don't we don't really get any snow, but it's cold. Those are kind of yucky stretches. And for people who want the weather to remain at least consistent for a period of time, would be pretty frustrated by living here because it's always a roller coaster. It's always pretending like it's about to be spring and then going right back into some kind of ice ice storm or something the rain freezes while it's coming down and becomes these tiny ice pebbles so uh it's kind of hard to predict that after a while yeah it's always changing maybe you could provide some insight though because minnesota and wisconsin are right next to each other Mm -hmm. and wisconsin's right next to lake huron and lake superior so it has way more water on its shores like, like michigan like like michigan and, and superior superior yep. yeah so why in the world is michigan so much colder why is it so much worse oh Mi- yeah that's a good question minnesota i, I should say yeah, yeah well either one yeah because they come in number one and two that's a good question i don't know why that would be the case you're right next to both of them so it yeah. seemed like it was and you have all that waterfront there well as far as the cold weather goes i think Whenever you cross the border into Minnesota, it was always a little colder for some yeah. reason. They always seem to get a colder s- spot there. I That's guess so it's strange jet stream yeah. or something. And then, uh, yeah, so I don't know why, but uh, uh, it's nice having the snow up in those areas. But then the, it sticks around for a long, long time, mm-hmm. too long, <laughs> and you're ready to see something new <laughs> a lot of times. I mean, I, it's funny because uh, you know, a lot of times in shopping centers, they will push the snow into the middle and they'll make this huge pile. And um, there be times where it'd be still June. And you'd still have part of the pile there because it was so big, still melting is that, down. Is that really the best idea then? If it's I don't know. just there year round you almost, got, you got to do something with it. <laughs> you got to push it out of the way in some ways. But uh, so anyway, yeah, those are the the rough places for winter. I think the the the, the absolute best place was Hawaii, mm. and then uh, f- I think uh, Phoenix, and then it was uh, California. So those are the beautiful beautiful areas for winter, I guess. So. Uh, so I'm still getting some storms out there in the East Coast. Uh, some other stories to look at today, more important, but one one lighter note before we get into those, just because this is strange to me and I thought the listeners might find it interesting. We're coming up on March Madness, which is the uh, college basketball tournament, which a lot of people enjoy. And there's always sponsors and promoters for that. Pizza Hut's very much involved. And uh, so for the second year in a row, they are releasing for the first time to the public, uh, if you want to buy this, uh, the first 50 people. Pizza Hut's new Pie Tops 2 shoes. They let you order pizza and pause live TV from your shoes. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. There's only 50 pairs you can buy when they go on sale. They're going to be sold at the website Hype Beast the week of March 19th. <laughs> and uh, they have pictures of them, and they're, they're, they're called Pie Tops instead of High Tops. <laughs> and you can press a button on it as long as it's hooked up to everything that needs to be hooked up to, and it will, they will deliver pizza to where you stand. And then, you, uh, assuming you do it from your, I'm assuming you do it from your house, and then uh, when they come, you can you can pause television, 
you know, if you've got the right hookup from your shoes. So <laughs> is it any wonder there's an obesity problem in the United States of America? I saw that commercial uh, where they, they, the girl basically just reached into the tongue of her shoe, pushed the button, and then a, a pizza delivery person came by. And then she pushed another button and paused the game. <laughs> I'm like, that can't be real. So I paused it and then was looking at the small print to see that see them tell us that it's a fake product but it, apparently it's a real thing and uh, and then on radio yesterday they were joking about how um like if someone wanted to bully you you could just go up and push the button on your shoe and make you pay for a pizza that you didn't want oh exactly well let's say <laughs> you let's say you had one of these shoes and I, I, somebody will buy it i mean i guess just as a novelty but you know in the morning it's dark and you're grabbing your shoe to put it on what if you accidentally hit the pizza exactly. order <laughs> <laughs> or anything could happen you know you could you could walk into uh you know uh the leg of a table and all of a sudden that you got pizza coming your way that's <laughs> probably why they're only putting out 50 pairs so they don't have to deal with that logistics nightmare they don't know what the price is going to be yet i imagine they won't be cheap i, I guess it I, i'm assuming it would be sort of just a, a novelty that somebody would like to have i don't assume people would wear these but who knows they <laughs> the uh they're they're making it with this gentleman he's uh he's a designer he's he's known as the the shoe surgeon <laughs> <laughs> this is a job that somebody has. You know, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm the I'm the shoe surgeon. So anyhow, uh, <laughs> I just thought it was an interesting story. The things people think of, and we've, we've been talking about technology over the last few days, and some of the more serious elements of it. But then, and then you get some stuff like this, which is ridiculous. <laughs> so anyway, somebody's going to buy those, and they they are going for sale. They had them out last year, but they weren't for sale. But this year, they're making available to the public. So there you go, pizza, pizza, pie tops. Just 50 pairs, so it's going to be a yeah. mad scramble to try to get those. Yeah, they're actually, they, they look okay. They look pretty good. Like, I don't yeah. know if you could play basketball in them or not, but they look they look pretty robust, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure who made them, but so <laughs> Pizza Hut shoes. <laughs> uh, here's a few more stories that are a little more relevant. Uh, this is uh, interesting. There's always there's a lot of division in politics, of course, and uh, a lot of finger pointing back and forth. And, and and one of the the things that happens a lot is the uh, Democrats very often are kind of accusing the Republicans of racial issues. Well, it kind of goes both ways here. Republican Jewish coalition calls for resignation of seven Democrats over ties to Farrakhan. You know, Louis Farrakhan. He's uh, pretty outspoken. The Republican Jewish coalition is calling for the resignation of seven Democratic members of Congress. Don't hold your breath, I'll add. (laughs) Whom it claims are connected to controversial Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan. The group describes him as a known anti-Semite. Probably a pretty fair description. I mean, he said quite a few things publicly. Farrakhan has routinely spoke disparagingly about Jews over the years as well as white people in general. Uh, Some of the people involved include uh, Maxine Waters of California. No surprise there, I guess. Yeah, and Keith Ellison, who is actually, I I believe he is actually um, a Muslim, too. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, these are actually some pretty mainstream figures on the left who have displayed these these, uh, anti-Semitic tendencies or at least have friendships with people who are like that. And and it's interesting to note the the contrast because on the right, you had that that guy running for a Senate position, I think, in Illinois. and he ran unopposed in the Republican side, and he was actually a Holocaust denier. So the entire Republican Party denounced him and took away their support so that he couldn't really be a Republican anymore. Uh, then you have someone like uh, former KKK member David Duke. Mm-hmm. The, the whole Republican Party denounces him. And then here on the other side, these are mainstream members of the Democratic Party, and 
they're allowed to just basically associate with whomever they please. Yeah, and in the case of some of them, uh, in particular Maxine Waters, I mean, there's there's reports all the time of her saying some pretty pretty inflammatory things publicly. There's videos of them, you know, to where she's really whipping up the base that uh, supports her. So it is interesting. Of course, this is not necessarily hot on the heels of uh, President Obama, but it, it's not that long ago where he, the media ignored the fact that he was with uh, uh, Jeremiah Wright, I guess it was, mm-hmm. who had some pretty outrageous things that he would say too, and the media buried that. So that story just came out that the media knew about those connections and didn't talk about it until later. And um, so I think he was even involved with... Uh, well, he was involved with Farrakhan too, wasn't he? Or was that I think he, I think he knew him. Or there, something. there was some, yeah. something that was covered up there. I might be mixing a couple little stories together there, but in any event, these things do come up from time to time, and it's, it's, it's just interesting because uh, I think the, the left tries to take, in an odd way, they try to take the moral high ground on issues, whether it be a race thing or whether it be, uh, uh, well, anything really. I mean, they're going after the president now and some supposed uh, uh, affairs and things, mm-hmm. which aren't good, but I mean. You think, well, isn't that isn't that the same thing that happens with like every <laughs> side of it? You know, you can think of plenty of Democrats who have done the same. Any other, it's not good, but it's it's really interesting for one side to really point the finger at the other when it's everybody's involved. It seems like. Well, yeah, it's the same party that promotes alternative family structures and abortion, and yet they're trying to pinpoint the all the blame on the president. That just it's highly hypocritical. They don't have the moral high ground on any issue, yet they try to pretend like they have it. And speaking of Barack Obama, too, he k- repeatedly disrespected Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He ushered him in the back door of the White House, which is not usually the way that you would host a leader of another nation. And, of course, he had a lot of meetings with the Muslim Brotherhood and other Arab groups that are extremely hostile toward uh, the Jewish cause. So just the outright blatant disrespect coming from the Democratic side, uh, it's no wonder that so many of them strongly oppose the U.S. Embassy move to Jerusalem. And uh, that just things like that just make it so baffling why most Jews in America vote for the Democrats. I mean, these these Democrats literally just have uh, a lot of enmity toward them, (laughs) yet, yet yet the Jews keep voting for them. Yeah, I just looked up just to make sure I had my facts right there, and it was that photograph of President Obama and Farrakhan that was suppressed. And but he was involved yeah. with the uh, the other guy as well. So, uh, and it, it's you know they the they try to come out then and say some of these uh, Democratic representatives and say, well, I, I denounce you know racism and that type of thing. Well, sure, everybody denounces it, but at the same time, you have to look at people's connections, and uh, in some cases, I mean. You know, it could be just that they happened to pass each other one day and knew each other. But for the most part, it seems like there is more to it to where they actually have some mutual uh, agreement on philosophy. And I think the most telling sign is what you just brought out, the way that the last administration treated the Jews. Very disrespectfully, obviously, we almost irreparable damage between the U.S. and Israel. Um, and so you can see that there's very much that anti-Jew um, ideology that was in the White House during those years. Yeah, and it just there's also a pretty uh, confusing mix-up of priorities here too, because it, like in this case, here are some Democrats associating with someone who is an anti-Semite. So this is someone who doesn't like the Jews at all, and and they're, they'll keep associating with him apparently, but. Anyone who ever says anything about other groups that they like to claim as victim groups, whether it's uh, women or other minorities, 
they get outraged by it. So why why can you support certain people who hate entire groups and then be totally against other ones who hate the, the certain groups that you claim to represent? It's Yeah, it's very confusing. I saw a story today even about the there's this new movement that kind of branched off of that Me Too movement. It's called the uh, Time's Up, I believe, mm-hmm. and it's something to do with women and I think equal pay or, or something along those lines, jobs or something. I get confused in all the movements that are happening, but <laughs> but the the write up on this particular one was just that there are because it's, it's basically a Hollywood deal, and there are some uh, actresses that are coming out and saying, "Well, but I, they won't let me be part of the club." <laughs> like you can't they're not they're not opening the club to everybody because they have different you know thoughts on right. different people, and so that just highlights what you're saying, like. You know that they make it out like whatever the movement is is for equality for all, but yet it's not. <laughs> it's about a little club that points the finger at everybody else. Yeah, they claim that they're so inclusive while excluding nearly everybody, and they say how they're against hatred. But if it's from a certain person of a certain victim group, they can spew all the hatred they want to, and that'll be totally fine. What about the fact that everyone's a person, and you have to treat people uh, with a certain level of respect, and not just hate an entire group because of a skin color or an ethnicity or uh, a national background uh, those things have should be easily condemnable by anybody but apparently the Democrats think that some some types of hatred like that are fine yeah it's like it's like a group saying we're gonna we're gonna take a uh, a monopoly of kindness like we're kind and we're just gonna constantly point out how everybody that's not our group is not kind. So in reality, you're being constantly unkind to everyone else, <laughs> yeah. but you've taken the kindness high road. I mean, you know, that's exactly what's happening, and that's it why is. it's so. It's and even even this particular story here about the the Republican Jewish Coalition calling for the resignation of seven Democrats over ties to Farrakhan. Reading the comments, I mean, a lot of people they they recognize that like this is you know this is the height of hypocrisy because they're out there talking about how they're so against all these. Uh, racist things and then at the same time they're involved with somebody whose whole platform is that Mm -hmm. so people can see that it's hypocritical a lot of people can well how many times have these same people called for president trump to denounce white supremacists like anytime there's been a rally of some kind or some kind of a conflict with antifa they they try to force him to only focus on the white supremacists who are there and condemn them and he's probably condemned these different groups a couple dozen times uh, but it's never enough these people aren't even going to condemn Louis Farrakhan once I would I would predict and there's not going to be very much outrage about it either well it's an interesting point because uh, one of the people that they talked to about this one of these uh, representatives that was their excuse they said well I've denounced um, any form of uh, racism and so I'm like well but that's not enough for the people that you're against. They can't just announce it. There has to be, I don't know what there has to be, but on their side of it, when they get caught, they said, well, I, I've denounced it, though, and that's okay, so everyone just moves on. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so you, you can look at these things and say, this is unequal here as far as uh, the media treatment and, and as far as uh, the way it's being portrayed. Well, yeah, that's true, and President Trump did, sp- he denounced all of the hatred in general, too, and people still thought he was a bigot for doing that apparently uh here is a a case where it's a little different though because it's a a specific person they're talking about and they won't get specific in their condemnation so that's why 
it's a little different. They're they're trying to say the same things that President Trump did when he was condemning it. But you have a specific person here. You're not you're not separating yourself from at all. Yeah, that's true. Yep, that'd be wouldn't that be you know the ultimate get out of jail card as they say if if uh, you got accused of something you could just say I've denounced all wrong deeds. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but did you do it though? I uh, clearly I've denounced it. Well, why so. are you why are you hanging around with all these unsavory people still? I mean, it doesn't make yeah. it doesn't make much difference if all you all you do is say something. Right. Yep. That's for sure. Uh, here's a really interesting story from foreign policy. Uh, China's long arm reaches into American campuses. Uh, it says when Chinese President Xi Jinping visited Washington on September 24th, 2015, on a state visit, hundreds of Chinese students lined the streets for hours, carrying banners and flags to welcome him. It was a remarkable display of seemingly spontaneous patriotism, Uh, except it wasn't entirely spontaneous. The Chinese embassy paid students to attend and helped organize the event, working with Chinese Students and Scholars Associations, which is the CSSA. At local universities, a Chinese student organization with branches at dozens of schools around the country, Government officials from the Office of Educational Affairs at the Chinese Embassy in Washington collected the contact information of about 700 students who had signed up to attend, and then they uh, made sure that they could get there and kind of told them what to do and gave them some money to, uh, you know, support their president and everything like that. Um, So it just highlights a few of these things that have occurred, and uh, this piece is showing how there is this organization, the Chinese Embassy, Chinese Students and Scholars Association, which does work with the local universities, with all these Chinese students, and there is some fear there of exactly what are, I mean, having them go out and, you know, support their president is probably not that big of a deal, but what else are they having them do? There's some concern that maybe they're uh, collecting intelligence, maybe they're really uh, manipulating these students in certain ways, so um, it's a really interesting piece here at Foreign Policy, Uh, and you see a lot of foreign students at universities from different nations, including China. Yeah, this story is really reminiscent of the way that the Soviet Union used foreign exchange programs uh, to try to, I guess, infiltrate American universities, but then also to indoctrinate American students who went over to Russia. Uh, And it was a big part of the communist plan to basically shake up the educational system in America and uh, try to brainwash a lot of the young people. Uh, I don't know the extent of it in the case of China right now, but obviously... Uh, they're exerting quite a lot of influence, and they do have pretty big student groups in a lot of these universities that the Chinese government is actually interacting with pretty much directly. Very, very directly. And uh, it's just kind of interesting, too. They you know, they, they pointed out a couple of times, uh, maybe I think it was even more than tw- twice they point out, but there was two examples that I grabbed where like the students went out and they supported uh, a pres- Chinese president coming over. And uh, and and how it was all sort of set up, but made to look like it just organically happened. And they told them the students don't talk to the press about this. And I thought, well, that's the exact same tactic you see with a lot of these protests. In this case, it's not a protest, but uh, a lot of these left wing protests that pop up. Oh, spontaneous! You know, everybody showed up with the same sign. <laughs> and they bust people in. Like we've seen that happen. And so I just thought, wow, that's interesting. It's like the exact same tactic. We're going to just pay some people, we're going to bust them around, and we're going to make it look like they either support something or they're against it, but somebody else is pulling the strings. Right. It's hundreds of students, and and they literally are being bussed around. Even that specific example in the article from 2011, 
where they had students from a different university come to Chicago. A, a university from Wisconsin came all the way to Chicago uh, just to show up and show support for the former Chinese president. Uh, it's pretty, pr- a pretty obvious, I guess, ploy to maybe build Chinese nationalism or to try, try to have a greater display of power here in America, maybe to exert some kind of political or social influence. It's hard to say specifically what it all is, but uh, it's definitely a whole lot like these protests where everyone conveniently has this exact same printed off sign, even though it's, it's, it's a spontaneous display of their, their raw emotions, but they all have the exact same screen printed uh, signs that they're holding up. Yeah. So it's a tactic that we see in a lot of different uh, movements. But in, related to the, these Chinese students, it says that a security hearing last month, FBI Director Christopher Wray said that American universities are naive about the intelligence risk of Chinese non-traditional collectors, especially in the academic setting, and claim that China poses a whole-of-a-society threat. And that got some backlash, saying, you know, well, you can't sit there and, you know, look at every foreign exchange student and think that their government's <laughs> working with them, which, you know, I think is a good point. You wouldn't want it to be something like that. But but still, there are, there are some questions as to what exactly is happening at some of these universities. It says, since they were first established in the 1980s, this CSSA, this uh, Chinese uh, government body that helps uh, foreign exchange students, have served as an important social hub for Chinese students, helping them adjust to life in the United States, providing them with ready-made support network. The groups typically host a variety of different cultural and social activities throughout the school year and can help students cope with the problems and stresses of student life. In that respect, it's not surprising that the associations would interact with Chinese uh, consular officials, whose job is also to look after the safety of Chinese citizens in the United States. But you do have to wonder, too, you have these these Chinese students here, and they're, they're sitting in these U.S. classrooms, and they're hearing the things that these professors are teaching them. What you know? What do the professors teach at some of these universities? It's a lot of anti-American rhetoric. Yeah. So even if there wasn't an exact like network set up to get information back and forth, which there may be, just even that they would just even observe that the temperature of the country, the mood of the country, is very much against itself, <laughs> which would embolden China. You would think. Yeah, it would give a lot of these students who probably still consider themselves primarily Chinese. It would give them even less respect for the country that they're living in when even these wealthy, successful university professors don't like the country they live in. Uh, that's the one thing about immigration that any nation should expect is for people who come here to think of themselves as Americans first. Now, these pro- these are probably a lot of them still Chinese people who are, who are just studying here, but at least have a respect for the nation that you're in. But if your professors are undermining that effort, then why, why would we want to have hundreds of thousands of people here who really don't like this country at all? Yeah, they have more in agreement with them, maybe with uh, some of the communist ideas. Right. The number of Chinese students studying in the United States has skyrocketed from tens of thousands a decade ago to more than 330,000. We see a lot, I mean, just around locally, you know, at the different universities. Uh, nearly one in three international students is Chinese. As the number of students has grown, so too has the need for help at universities. Much of the relationship between the CSSA and Chinese consulates revolves around educating Chinese students about U.S. laws and safety. Many Chinese students and their parents back home worry about the high rate of violent crime in the United States. Um, It says, but numerous CSSA members 
including two current chapter presidents, say that they are uncomfortable with what they felt was growing ideological pressure from the embassy and consulates. So here even these Chinese students are saying, we feel like we're getting pressure from our government. Uh, and so when they feel that way, I think it's something that uh, should, probably should be looked at. Yeah, because like you just said there, there are some really good uh, good things that these student bodies can do, these student organizations can do, especially because a lot of these students probably speak Chinese <laughs> better, way better than they speak English. Uh, that's That's going to be a big adjustment for them, learning a little bit about the culture, a little bit about different things that are socially acceptable or not. Those are all really good, helpful ways to help the students integrate into their campuses. But if you have a government reaching in there at the same time, uh, who knows? There, there are a lot of possibilities for things like that, especially if, if they want to get a little bit more aggressive with it and not just have students show up to support a president at some appearance, but maybe to also sow a little bit of discord. Yeah, they, this write-up says that, again, some of these these Chinese students and the, the CSA uh, chapter members, presidents rather, are feeling this heavy pressure from the Chinese government. Uh, that pressure has become more apparent since 2016 when the Chinese Ministry of Education issued a directive ordering schools to instill greater patriotism and love for the party in students of every age, including Chinese students studying abroad. It's kind of a vague thing to say, like, well, what does that mean exactly? But uh, it is just very interesting. I guess if you're a foreign exchange student, you'd think a lot of that is to learn about the, a new culture. But here they're saying, hey, make sure you instill Chinese patriotism and love for the party. It's also interesting that in 2016 is when that pressure really came on. And you can think about President Xi Jinping and some of what he has done recently that's been talked about on the Trumpet.com and other shows and other platforms uh, about just, you know, how he is really taking the grip of power in that nation to, to never let it go in his lifetime. And so, right, you know, just a year or so ago, here comes this directive. You need to be more patriotic to your country. You've got to... Um, I have this love for the party, which is one party rule over there now and really dictatorial rule. And then you have all these people, 330,000 of them in U.S. universities. The government in the U.S. is a little bit concerned in taking a look at it. Yeah, and even if it's not as much about subverting the U.S. government, you could understand why China right now would at least want to make sure that all of their people are as patriotic as possible because so much of the population would obviously have some questions about what Xi Jinping did, uh, essentially appointing himself emperor for life by removing some constitutional restraints and not appointing a successor for when he's done. Uh, those those types of things haven't ever really happened in China, at least in a very long time. Uh, so a lot of Chinese people would be concerned by that. But the more that you indoctrinate them or the more that you get them pumped up with nationalistic pride, uh, the more likely they'll at least go along with that change. Yeah, so it's a really interesting write-up. There's a lot more there than we could cover, but uh, it's just worth thinking about because obviously China is very much uh, becoming more aggressive on the world scene. And we have a book, Russia and China and Prophecy, that's at thetrumpet.com you can read. And they are definitely uh, you know, part of that Asian conglomerate that is rising. They're, they're, they're not the friend of the U.S., although they're, they're a little more... Um, Oh, I don't know. Diplomatic, maybe in some of their some of the things that they do, but here they have three hundred thirty thousand of their people in American universities, and uh, they want to exert quite a bit of control over them. So they're going to come back at some point. So you have to make sure that they're all 
uh, willing to be a part of Chinese life again, and they're going to be willing to adjust to the new type of leadership that they have now. Yeah, it's going to be uh, just it's just interesting to look at. So anyway, you can see more of that, and, and uh, I'm sure there'll be some more about that maybe on uh, some other programs as well. The uh, This is uh, one other quick headline before we get into the Trumpet.com today. Uh, it's just kind of interesting. There's a lot of uh, uh, cancers in the U.S., a terrible disease. And uh, this is from CNN. It says, cancer treatment guidelines questioned in a new study. So the National Comprehensive Cancer Network often publishes clinical practice guidelines that help shape the course of treatment for cancer patients and insurance coverage. It's big business. There's a lot of money involved. And so they have this, this uh, uh, clinical practice guidelines. It says, however, a new study has called for those guide- called those guidelines into question. The study found that recommendations may include using a drug for a type of cancer for which it wasn't necessarily approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, also known as, quote, off-label use, which is widely practiced in uh, oncology care. The study also referenced previous research that has shown 84% of the members of this National Comprehensive Cancer Network uh, involved in developing the guidelines have received personal payments from the pharmaceutical industry. So there's a lot. I mean, there's, there's a terrible time when people have to go through that disease and they're scared and they are taking lots of different things. And uh, and whether it's cancer, whether it's anything else. But here you have people offering things, recommending things. Going off of certain guidelines, 84% of the people that made the guidelines got paid by the pharmaceutical company. That doesn't seem like that would be uh, the most uh, fair uh, reporting on their part. It seems like it could be some bribery. They're really stretching the limits of uh, these different types of drugs, and they're going even beyond some of the health codes to to prescribe certain uh, cancer treatment drugs that aren't for that specific type of cancer. I mean, that that does seem a bit... um, a bit extreme, a bit dangerous, uh, but like you said, if if different uh, members of this board are getting paid off, who knows what could really be happening there? Yeah, I mean, what did they get paid for <laughs> to obviously promote the drug? I mean, yeah. I think we've there's been stories about that just when different different types of drugs over the years where there's quite a bit of uh, whining and dining, as they would say you know, the business meetings to uh, try to get people to prescribe medications because it's money and they can, they make a lot of money doing it. Uh, those are, that's a big, big industry. <clears throat> Even if you look at the uh, Obamacare reform that was pushed through a few years back, uh, the first thing that they did was get in cahoots with the drug industry and make sure everybody was on board with that. And then they attacked the insurance companies because they had a bad guy. So they, they went after yeah. them. But whenever, whenever, uh, you see like all these commercials on TV and all these different things and they want you to take this and take that and take the other. Not to say that every one would be bad, but in a lot of cases you just have to think, you know, are the people giving this to you, are they really concerned about your well-being? Are they really concerned about trying to help? I mean, some may be, but I mean up at the top, are they really that concerned? Well, I, I, it seems like it's a money-making thing more than anything. Well, yeah, it's just shocking to see that even guidelines would, would recommend certain drugs that aren't supposed to be used for certain types of treatments uh and they're being paid to do that that's just um way beyond what their job should imply or or entail and yet they're they're just going out there they're taking the money and prioritizing that money probably bribe money over uh the actual well-being of their patients yeah it's terrible too because you know 
they probably know that this treatment's going to maybe affect somebody negatively, but it doesn't matter as long as they get the money for it, it seems like. So lots of people are involved with that and, of course, don't know all the ins and outs of it. And I'm sure there are people that are at a lower level and they think they're doing what they should and they're not, you know, in cahoots necessarily. But just the reality, like they say, that 84% of them got paid. Uh, the 16% that didn't get paid, you think, what? <laughs> Nobody wanted to pay me anything. You got robbed. They were the ones that I guess probably didn't recommend some of these treatments. So, but that's a, it's a really tough thing because obviously it's a very scary time for people, and you know they kind of look to the medical profession in a lot of cases like the final authority. And if they tell you something, I mean, you, you're going to believe them in a lot of cases. Yeah, and cancer treatment in general uh, just seems like one of the more. Uh, dangerous procedures to go through especially if it's like chemotherapy where you're basically what what are you doing radiating your entire body to hopefully kill off the cancer but it also doesn't it also hurt the rest of your body yeah, too yeah. like treatments like that are borderline insanity but when you're desperate and you want to get rid of it badly enough you'll turn to something like that or you'll, you'll turn to a drug that's outside the uh the proper usage uh, especially if someone with authority apparently tells you to do so. Yeah, it's amazing how it works because, you know, people will really grasp at any hope that there is, which is understandable. But then at the same time, God offers a lot of hope in his word. He has a lot of, you know, hope uh, and, and talks a lot about faith and believing and trusting in him. And uh, humans are just very, very, very easy. It's very easy to have "quote unquote" faith in the person sitting across the table from you, or the 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 professional, or the official, but then not not really believe God and what He says. And so that there's a lot of situations in life where that you see that where people will do almost anything to try to sustain existence and so forth. And it's understandable because it's a scary time, but then not have that same faith in God's promises. And why would we want to have a drug-induced hope? That's not going to last. It might stave off cancer for a while. But, I mean, even that former Buffalo Bills quarterback, Jim Kelly, just had cancer come back. He's been fighting it for a long time, had it come back, I think, in a different part of his body. Uh, So, yeah, it might provide temporary relief to take a certain drug or to undergo a really difficult, hard treatment. But it could just come back anyway. And so there has to be something more than that, a greater hope beyond drugs that provide temporary relief. Yeah. Everywhere, it seems like everywhere you look in man's uh, systems, it, somewhere in there you find a little corruption. <laughs> Not to say everybody, but I mean, it's, so anyway, that's a writer from CNN. A great, great uh, Trumpet Daily Radio show today. Make sure you listen for that, uh, talking about some of the uh, history of the uh, court case between the Philadelphia Church of God and the Worldwide Church of God and uh, the getting uh, Mr. Armstrong's writings, many of them. Uh, a lot of great history there and how that that progressed. Um, and so make sure you listen for that coming up. And, of course, uh, those books and booklets are available for free at thetrumpet.com. So you can get them there today. Also, at thetrumpet.com, top story today is by Trumpet Daily Radio Show host Stephen Flurry. Will gun control solve our problems? So, you know, it's been in the news now because of this uh, shooting at that Florida high school. And uh, there's been a lot of uh, talk about guns, and the teens have sort of led the way on that. Uh, He writes this, Brandon Minoff, an 18-year-old student who attends Stoneman Douglas, was quoted in an article at the Daily Caller saying that the media immediately politicized the tragedy. He said, quote, It seems that gun control laws is the major topic of conversation rather than focusing on the bigger issue of 17 innocent lives being taken at the hands of another human, he said. 
Minoff also told Fox News that the entire day after the after the shooting, CNN, quote, was interviewing gun experts and specialists to brainwash the audience that gun control is a necessity. He also revealed how they are using teenagers to promote their anti-gun agenda. Quote, they even have an army of my classmates trying to persuade other students that guns are unnecessary and should be illegal. So they came right on in. And I, we talked about this. A lot of people talked about this. They, Quite frankly, they just kind of ignored the actual people that were killed and then went right into their gun debates. Yeah, and a lot of people on the left have been saying, well, if this isn't the time to politicize it to save lives, then what time is? Yeah, but your solutions are completely off the wall and they won't make any differences even the specific bills they're talking about getting rid of certain types of guns or uh, instilling more background checks wouldn't have even stopped the the actual shooting that we're currently arguing about so where is the the common sense it's uh, quite the debate going back and forth uh this uh right up here at the trumpet talking about uh will gun control solve our problems has a quote from the america under attack book It says the Second Amendment in the U.S. protects the people's right to bear arms, but for what? If you listen to the left, you would never know. To hear them talk about it, its purpose is so Americans can go out and shoot deer. That isn't the reason for the Second Amendment at all. The main point was to protect the citizens from government tyranny. The government might decide to take over, and if you don't have guns or something to defend yourself, what are you going to do? Unless, of course, you have God's protection there. And and so uh, that's a point that's always lost is people forget about the whole reason for the Second Amendment and why it was put in there in the first place. It was because if you look at history, governments have a have a pretty bad track record when it comes to actually uh, respecting the freedom of their citizens and, and upholding the freedom of law or the rule of law. At some point, they usually try to take over. And so that's why they put it in there. It was so people could protect themselves from a uh, tyrannical takeover. And that that's just the truth of it. And and yet people sit there and scoff, as this article points out, and says, oh, that, that would never happen. <laughs> uh, but the same people saying, oh, that would never happen, are actually the ones that are trying to take over half the time. <laughs> the, of course they would want to lull people to sleep and then take away the weapons. And a lot of people on the left right now are... are pointing to Australia and saying, look, there hasn't there haven't really been many mass shootings since they took away all their guns. They basically forced their own citizens to sell their guns back to the government. Um, I think it was two-thirds of the guns didn't get sold back to the government, so the guns didn't disappear anyway uh, entirely. Uh, but also, it, the violent crime there actually increased because it, it just emboldens criminals every time. If you don't think that anyone's going to be there to shoot you when you break into their house, uh, probably probably you're going to be a little bit more likely to take that risk. There's actually a town in Georgia right now that has had since the 1980s this this uh, law in place that every head of household has to maintain and operate know how to operate a firearm. They don't really enforce it, but people in that town know that there's a very good chance that every household has a gun and so there's been one shooting death in one one shooting uh i guess incident that's caused death in six years uh in the last six years that there's only been one shooting death over there so that just goes to show you if you have citizens who are able to defend themselves Obviously, that's going to make a lot of these cowardly criminals a little bit more hesitant. 
Well, there was a knife attack, what was it, yesterday in Vienna where they somebody stabbed a bunch of people, mm-hmm. two or three at least, maybe more. Uh, you see those things. I mean, they, they routinely have problems, whether it be a car running people over or a knife attack or whatever. Uh, this article about the gun control, though, quotes a Key of David program where it said human nature is the problem. So, I mean, if you really want to get to the problem of why you'd have these mass shootings and things, it's human nature. God says it's human nature that must be changed, and that is the problem. It's not getting rid of some guns. And even if you did that, if everybody were uh, told to turn in their guns, the bad guys wouldn't turn in theirs, would they? <laughs> <laughs> no, and that presents quite a dilemma when you think about it. So that's that. There's a that's just a great, great write-up there uh, at thetrumpet.com. Will gun control solve our problems? Make sure you read it today. I wanted to just uh, finish today by kind of piggybacking on a point there that was made uh, about the fact that uh, – if citizens aren't able to protect themselves, governments you do usually take over. It does happen at some point. And uh, this is a write-up from Forbes, how dictators come to power in a democracy. You can be a democracy and and have dictators take over. And uh, this is written by Jim Powell. He um, goes through and looks at some of the history of Nazi Germany and the way that they, the way Hitler came to power. And one of the things that was done, though not mentioned in this article, but I found it at another source, was the fact that you know, the Third Reich, they did take guns away. They took them away from the Jews especially, but they did take them away from other people as well, other people that they considered to be enemies of their government. And lo and behold, they came to power. Well, this article makes a strong point, too, about just how um, American progressives have taken a lot away from the German educational system, and they've learned a lot about uh, the German way of doing things that they have actually tried to implement in America. And... uh I mean, there's so many examples here. One of them was about how the government enacted rent controls. So they, I mean, we see that 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 has happened in, in a lot of places in America, where if you, if the government intervenes in an, a local economy and tries to, uh, you know, stop the price of something from rising, well, that actually affects every business, every person that's around there, and uh, eventually you have things like wild inflation where they were paying trillions of notes to just buy a pound of sugar like this article shows and that's what happened to them in germany uh partially as a result of these different ways of the government getting involved uh and it also says here that um germany was a large welfare state right. uh, it wasn't a limited government with separation of powers uh it was a large welfare state just like we have right now and that's what makes it so much easier for uh, a dictator to take charge. Once people become dependent on the government and they expect the government to provide all of their wants, needs, hopes, and dreams and desires, well, uh, that guy can also, if he has the power to do those good things, he also has the power to ruin your life. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there were some really interesting points brought out that you look at the U.S. today and you think, yeah, that's sort of similar. Like we're kind of going down that trail. Uh, this author in Forbes here, says, well, why would a highly educated country like Germany, and he, and he went through, you know, after World War One, how they had great education. There was 120,000 students going to university, uh, some of them for free. You know, they were, they were doing great things as far as some technological developments. And why, though, would they fall prey to a dictatorship? The short answer is economic, military, and political crisis. Chow time for tyrants, he says. <laughs> do we see that today? Do we do we see economic crisis? Well, for now, times are you know okay. 
uh, but the the foundation is busted. So you know, eventually, it's the floor is going to fall out. Uh, military and political crises. Well, political crisis. Yeah, I mean, I would think we're at that stage here in the country. But then, I mean, any time, like you said, if 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 you're relying on the government, if you have sort of this 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 uh, socialism going on, uh, and and you rely on them for everything, well, you do. You rely on them for everything. And they're going to tell you what to do. They're going to tell you to do this, to do that, to do the other. And you have to do it. And before you know it, who's going to change things? You're going to vote them out? No, you're not, because now they rule and they're going to be the dictator. And the article also says that Hitler maintained nonstop agitation for power. Yep. That's happening all the time in our political system. All, all you have to do is call someone a bigot, a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, an Islamophobe, a xenophobe. They have all these names, uh, ways of branding people who disagree with them as just these hateful monsters. Uh, that's not a way to have a civil political discourse not a way to honestly come to a conclusion about which ideas and policies are the best for all of the American people. It's just a way to divide people into groups, turn black against white, man against woman, uh, straight against homosexual, everything you can possibly do to split people into different groups and eventually uh, present yourself as the savior of all these different groups uh, so that they'll vote you into power. Then you can just keep taking more and more of that power. Yeah, I mean, when you when you just read about some of this, like you're pointing out, and you, you think about us today, I mean, the seeds are definitely there for sure. You have, like you said, Hitler maintained nonstop agitation for power. Uh, I don't know if it's one individual, but you could certainly look at the media in general in the U.S. It said uh, he wanted opponents destroyed, so he demonized them. <laughs> Do we see anything like that happening? Wow. He accused them of being traitors. Uh, he had his thugs launch uh, attacks on opponent, opponents. It says this attracted more thugs who liked violence and were good at it. I don't know. Take a look at some of the rallies we've seen. Uh, there's a thug element there. I Well, that's not even a, you're not even supposed to say that, right? That's racist, apparently. Uh, it's not a word to use. Well, Antifa. Uh, but no one condemns Antifa. They've actually uh, praised Antifa, Black Lives Matter, a couple of domestic terrorist organizations. If you just judge by fruits what they're actually doing, they're chanting for the death of policemen. They are setting buildings on fire. They're beating people with poles. That's Those are not good fruits. Those are not people who are going to contribute to a peaceful society. They probably don't even have jobs outside of the chaos that they're creating. And people on the left actually actively say that they're in support of those movements. Right. It's it's amazing. The uh, you, you pointed this out earlier, but just to highlight what you were saying, it said... Uh, the author says we should understand that Hitler didn't take over a small government with an effective separation of enumerated, delegated, and limited powers. <laughs> he took over a large welfare state, as you pointed out before. It had been created by an autocratic uh, autocratic chancellor, Otto von Bismarck, and then it expanded. Uh, the government shut down private businesses that officials considered unnecessary. There was forced labor at some point. Nobody could change jobs without government permission. For the first time, this war socialism, as they called it, showed the world what a socialist economy would look like, and it became a model for Lenin and other communist uh, uh, leaders. Uh, and so government control of the economy made it virtually impossible for anyone to seriously threaten the regime. Hitler added secret police, death camps, and another war machine. And the German educational system, which had inspired so many American progressives, played a major role in all of this. Uh, during the previous century, the government gained complete control of schools and universities. 
and their top priority was teaching obedience. Wow. Is that any different today? <laughs> I mean, as much as they'll talk about freedom, you better obey the party line, which is radical left agenda. Yeah, it's all about brainwashing and conforming to the leftist ideology now. It, they talk about diversity and inclusion so often, but the only type of diversity they're talking about is skin color, gender. There's no diversity of thought, no diversity of ideas, uh, no diversity of opinion. You just have to believe the exact same thing, and you're physically threatened. You're, uh, you're charged with hate speech, with which actually is not even a real thing, but everyone will just say that you're speaking hate speech and should be somehow prosecuted for that. The whole point of the First Amendment is to preserve speech that people don't like, but on university campuses, they create safe spaces so that you don't have to hear uh, any sort of controversial ideas. You're offered counseling for any time a conservative speaker as mainstream as Ben Shapiro comes on a campus. Ben Shapiro, of all people, he's not, he's not saying anything that's outrageous. It's common sense stuff. And they have to have counseling offered to these students because they think that certain speech is actually like a form of violence. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, we this this write up again is from Forbes: How dictators come to power in a democracy, and they they give you a few takeaway points at the end there. And here's one that's really interesting: It says ultimately, liberty can be protected only if people care enough to fight for it, because everywhere governments push for more power and they never give it up willingly. You know, you just think about, and again, I mean, there's, there's, it's not to get necessarily political, but I mean, if you, if you just look at say 2008 onward, especially until maybe more recently, what were they trying to, what were they doing because of quote unquote, the economic crisis that was happening, which was happening. Um, we'll let the government take it over. We'll take over business. We'll, we'll bail this out. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll do the other thing. And what, what do you have? Took charge of healthcare too. Everything. Yeah. You have an expanded welfare state where you're not in control of anything. And what is the push now because of a crisis? Gun control. We need to take the guns, too. There's a book by Stephen uh, Halbrook, Gun Control in the Third Reich, and it says, based on newly discovered secret documents from German archives, diaries, and newspapers of the time, Gun Control in the Third Reich presents the definitive yet hidden story of how the Nazi regime made use of gun control to disarm and repress its enemies and consolidate power. The countless books on the Third Reich and the Holocaust fail even to mention the laws restricting firearm ownership, which rendered political opponents and Jews defenseless. A skeptic could surmise that a better armed populace might have made no difference, but the, the Nazis clearly did not think so. It ruthlessly suppressed firearm ownership by disfavored groups. Sound familiar to anyone? Yeah, there have been stories of uh, the German forces actually ordering Jews into the town squares and basically sending them right off to the concentration camps on these on these trains and obviously not a single one of these Jewish men or anyone had a gun that they could have used to fight back they basically had to do whatever these tyrants told them to do because they they had no equalizing force they had no power that they could wield uh, to try to say no we're not we're not just going to do whatever you tell us you are here to serve the people and not to kill the people. The critics of this history about the Nazis will say, uh, well, no, if you look at it, actually, they, they expanded it. They allowed more people to have guns. Well, they allowed some people to have guns, people that were on their side. <laughs> 
So that's that's how the critics say, no, 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 that 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 didn't really happen. Yes, it did happen. And yes, yeah, sure, they they allow people to have guns. What do you think they were going to take away from the SS? <laughs> of course, certain ones could have it, <laughs> but that's so you could control and have power. You couldn't just send a group of people in there with no weapons and make an entire population move. Mm. You need to have something that you need to have greater power. And that's when you talk about gun control, they never talk about everybody giving up their guns. Just the people that we don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's how it was with uh, the Germans. They specifically made the Jews get rid of it. Now we hear a lot of vague terminology about people who are supposedly mentally ill or they're incapacitated in some way, or even if they're just older and they have someone else take care of their finances and their estate for them, they can't have a gun. Well, that's that's just a way of singling out certain groups of people that can't have guns while everyone else can. Uh, those people are not going to like it very much if they get attacked and can't do anything about it. It's really interesting. Check out the write-up, the main write-up at thetrumpet.com on this. Will gun control uh, solve our problems? That's a really important write-up. Uh, that's all the time we have for today on Trumpet Radio Live. Here, David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show. Those are coming your way in just a bit. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day. Talk to you tomorrow. Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.